0: Hello and welcome to Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madat. Thanks very much again for joining us today. I have Kyle Morris. He is founder and co-founder at CIF Data and Kicksaw, coming to us from the Northwest in Bend, Oregon. D- d- listen, I'm Canadian. Do I, d- did I sound Canadian saying Oregon?
1: No, uh, you sounded exactly Canadian. <laughs> uh, us, we pronounce it Oregon, uh, but it's a very common... Uh, people all over the U.S. say it as well, so... Uh, I won't pronounce some Canadian words. I'm sure I'd screw those up
0: too. Off to a good start, Carlos, and thanks for yeah. being here, man. <laughs> Say hi to everybody and uh, provide a quick intro.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name Kyle Morris. Uh, like you said, I live in Bend, Oregon. Uh, you know, my background, I currently run on SIP Data. I've done a, a lot of sales development work, business operations, and before that had kind of a background being in the military. So all those things really inform kind of the direction of where I'm going in my career. So yeah, happy to share however much I can here today.
0: Well, thanks for being here. And uh, so let's get into it then. So listen, we're recording this on June 19th, uh, anniversary of Juneteenth. And uh, mm-hmm. kind of a, an interesting, unique, turbulent, um, hopefully positive last four months uh, of the world with COVID and now with Black Lives Matter and, and mm-hmm. the conversations that are happening there. I don't want to be tone deaf to what's going on. Um, how have you been the uh, last four months? Uh, how are you hanging in there?
1: Yeah, uh, fortunate. I mean, I feel very fortunate, you know, having the ability to have a job where I can work from home. My wife's in the same boat. We were going through, you know, a lot of struggles with kids home. And I think a lot of people have been going through challenges there kind of with our background. And so uh, compared to a lot of folks, it feels like we're very fortunate here. So we're really trying to count our blessings and just really appreciate as much as we've got. So as good as could be.
0: All right, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, you're hanging in there. And other than maybe the perceived inconvenience of the quarantine and having to do that, as we talked about before the, uh, that we hit record, here, kind of a first world problem. And hopefully what, yeah. we're, what we're doing is we're working. Hopefully it's working and, and there'll be some sense of normal or what we, what we knew was normal um, sooner rather than later. So um, Kyle, thanks again for being here. Let's get into it then. Uh, your intention matters. Nothing was given to you. Uh, everything you have was, was earned, I am sure. And there's some stories along <laughs> the way. And so uh, I'm excited for you to share your story. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Let's go back. I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years, the better part of that. Uh, You were in the the Army. Yeah, it feels
1: like like it was yesterday, but it was actually 15-ish years ago or so.
0: Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, so um, I I grew up and uh, had a military family. Dad had been in the military. His dad was in the military, so that was definitely an option. Uh, In high school, September 11th happened. Mm. So in the U.S., that was obviously a very pivotal moment. I didn't have a background, of family who'd been to college. So that wasn't really a direction that made a lot of sense for me. So I signed up to join the military, um, ended up serving in a unit called the Rangers, special operations unit. Um, you have seen movies with these folks in there. So it was fun to be able to be in that uh, elite select uh, of a group. Uh did a four combat missions overseas or tours, I should say, went to Ranger school, got to do all kinds of fun, sexy job stuff, flying around in helicopters. And then I ended up getting out and my real intention joining the military was to get to school. My family didn't have a background of being able to pay for school. So that was my path. Um, I went to school in the University of Oregon in Eugene. Good school. Go Ducks for any fans out there. And uh, I wanted to study entrepreneurship. Um, I I, I was fortunate, you know, my dad and his dad had both started their own company. So that was like an option of, you know, something I may want to do one day. And so I studied entrepreneurship. It felt like a very interesting path for me. And I took a job with a big Fortune 500 company as a management trainee right out of college. That one doesn't go on my LinkedIn because 30 days in I put in notice. It was not <laughs> a good fit. Um, <clears throat> what I did is I transitioned into tech. I worked for a company called Gigya. I was an SDR, one of their early hires. They'd had two cohorts. I was in the second cohort. And that's really where I cut my teeth both in how to sell, how to set meetings, and ultimately moved into managing that team. and And I was lucky to hit it at an inflection point where... When I took it over, there were six or seven people on the team. In two years, we had 75. So it was a major growth spurt for the company. And, and I really hit the upper limit of my management ability. So I moved into running business operations there. And that's where I started to learn about Salesforce and systems and how much that really impacts a company's ability to execute and operate. I think folks think that it really just comes down to people, but so much is the architecture and system you put in place that either really limit a person's ability to execute or how much you can completely grease the skids so when that happened it, it ended up opening a whole different direction of my career that i hadn't even considered so uh the company Kicksaw i run now uh, with co-founder kenny we primarily do business sales operations for growing tech companies so it's a really fun interesting problem we get to solve every single day right every company has different challenges and it's fun to look at them through different lenses so that's what i'm kind of tuning up, up to today
0: you know you you touched on you said it in jest but uh, i it, it hit me around you said go duck for anybody listening and it's yeah. it's always <laughs> it's always fascinating to me the the dynamic around college in the US cuz me being mm. a being a visitor there and me living outside the country uh, you know yeah. here in Canada we don't really get that vested in, in college yeah. academic, a- athletics, I should say. So in some cases, academics as well, but uh, certainly athletics. And so I-, I always love it when I'll see a 65-year-old man wearing like a Longhorns <laughs> cap or something yeah. at the airport. I think, oh my God, it's just, it's fascinating to me. So so you went to, okay, so you're in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, Oregon, yeah. Did I get that right? You got it. I got it, okay, yep. very good. And, and so you're going down a path of entrepreneurship. So uh, talk to me about your... Your, your drive to do that. Um, but where mm-hmm. did that come from? And um, w- was it a natural thing for you? Or did you really have to work at it in order to kind of go down that that path?
1: Yeah, I would like to say that it was my entrepreneurship degree meant I could start kicksaw. That's not the case, right? Anyone can do this. It was it was more of, I felt as though studying business that 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 was a natural inclination that I had, it felt like the idea of you know solving problems in an interesting way that that really lent itself well to business and that um i wanted to be my own boss that's really what i had in my mind i don't like people to tell me what to do i like to be in control of myself and it felt like you know entrepreneurship is the only real job where you get that pure autonomy unless you're a rock star or something which i wasn't going to do so um that that called to me and Through that, I I didn't really know where it was going to end up. Like, I didn't graduate and say, I'm starting a business tomorrow. And the reality is I shouldn't have done that, even if I did, because everything that I learned that's helped me in my career with the companies that I run now all came from time in in an individual contributor seat. Hmm. So I think it's really critical that before you really try to solve a problem, you need to understand it. Uh, Sales... Sales operations; those were things I knew nothing. I couldn't have told you how to build a flow in Salesforce when I graduated from school. None of that made any sense. It came from struggling through challenges in a given role, and then I started companies to solve those problems. So, the company I run, Sift Data, it really was there to solve a problem as an SDR, which was I was trying to set meetings with people. The biggest problem when you're setting meetings is how do you how do you get someone to pay attention? So, I built the product to try to solve that, and then. I was struggling through sales operations and I needed some help. So I built a company to kind of solve that because I know I'm not alone. Other people are like that Mm. too. Um, And this isn't a pitch for my companies, but more of the way I think about how to start a business or how to get into an industry I haven't done before is learn it, realize what the problems are. And then from there uh, solutions will start to become more apparent because I don't think at night or 22 years old, straight out of college, anyone's going to come. I mean, it's going to be uh, good luck if you can come up with a product that solves a lot of people's problems in a B2B setting straight out of school. You need real experience, time to see.
0: You know, pr- prior to, uh, I think I have this right around 2014 or so, before you started SIFT mm-hmm. um, Data, you were working, as you <laughs> mentioned, Giga. And so you, mm-hmm. you're there for the better part of almost six years. And mm-hmm. so um, pretty good runway, different, different roles and progressions. Were, were, did you, were, you able to, were you able to do that in Oregon or did you have to move for that job?
1: Uh, So when I first took that job with a Fortune 500 company, I moved to the Bay Area. So I was going to school in Eugene, moved to the Bay Area. A gal I was dating at the time who's now mother of my children was from there. So I moved down to there after school. And uh, that's how I got in with a company I wouldn't want to work for again. And then that parlayed into working for tech. Like that was one of the best choices I made in my career. I remember my dad, when I told him I put in notice at a Fortune 500 company, 30 days in, it's like, I think you're making a big mistake. And to put context to it, I graduated from school in 2010, or uh, 2009, 2010. So this was in the height of the financial crisis. It just bought me out. And so the idea that you're going to leave a real stable job to go work for some random tech company that no one has ever heard of seemed very counterintuitive. And so I took a shot, and I couldn't have told you at the time that it was a good idea. It felt right. And it just ended up being completely the best option for me in my career.
0: And so, so given that your your now wife, then girlfriend, was from the Bay Area, um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of selling to move up to where you are, or was she good?
1: Uh, to move up to Bend? Yeah. Uh, it took about four years of really nagging her. I mean, yeah, it, it, took, some, it took some work. But uh, yeah, we're, we get to live in Bend. It's, it's a mecca for tourism and outdoor stuff. And so if you prioritize those things, it's, it's an easy sell, I
0: think. And, uh, and so talk to me about your, your experience and the fundamentals that maybe were instilled with you during your, your army years and being a ranger, Mm -hmm. how does that Mm -hmm. uh, translate into how you approach uh, your businesses today, but also your everyday life? Mm -hmm. How does that still factor I imagine you keep me honest, but I imagine it still does.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if I were to say that my ability to shoot a gun or jump out of a plane or fly in a helicopter applies today, there's, there's no overlap however a lot of the lessons you learn in a unit like that are leadership right so i went to ranger school which you've probably seen on tv they don't eat or feed you for like two months and you don't sleep um that's not there just to make you uncomfortable it's there to teach you leadership skills and it's the army's premier leadership school every infantry officer to get a real job as an infantry officer in a good unit must graduate from ranger school so the Army's trying, it's a big bureaucracy. They need to teach people leadership skills. They need to teach people tactical skills. And so, so much of what I apply in business today, like in Slack, I'm constantly referring to Army stuff, military things, and that may be to the dismay of my team, but these lessons have been like born out in combat in the most stressful situations. So if they work there, I'm sure they're gonna work in contexts like these where it's lower stakes. So. you know, one of the first things my uh, when I first showed up in the Rangers, my first day, I was very intimidated. I was nine; I just turned nineteen, didn't know what I was doing. And my squad leader pulls me aside, and he's gonna—he's like, "I'm gonna tell you three rules to live by as an Army Ranger." He's like, "The first one, always look cool." He's like, "You're a commando. You've made it here. You—you've you've got to represent that very intentionally." Um, And the idea is not to just put on cool sunglasses and roll up your sleeves and look cool. It's like the idea is to be composed, show that you've got control over what you're doing. The second thing is always know where you're at. Keeping situational awareness, not just in combat. Is there someone in that door? It's if a general walks into the room, you need to react differently than if your buddy walks into a room, right? Situational awareness, always know where you're at. The third thing is if you don't know where you're at, always look cool. Like that's your default is just present yourself well. People people give you a lot of slack when you carry yourself with confidence. And that's like the kind of underlying message there. So there's a lot of takeaways like that, That, I mean, we could talk for hours over beers over this type of a thing, but they really apply into business in a lot of ways, right? You've met salespeople who come in confident and collected and you see people that are disheveled in a total dumpster fire on the mm. call. So it's certain people end up doing well, certain people don't. And it's not only your intrinsic skill, it's trained, you learn how to do it. And so that's the thing that one skill you got to develop in the Rangers is how to look cool.
0: You know, I was looking forward to speaking with you because, uh, you know, as a a guy who also let go of corporate America, so to speak, I spent 10 years at Xerox, give or take. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, was a simple decision, but it wasn't easy to do because there was a lot of positives working for a big company and runway and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so I always appreciate when I speak to somebody else who's actually done that as well. Different logo on the bag, but uh, you know it's the same intent because I know what it takes to do that. But I, I was intrigued to speak to you because you're running two companies at the at the same time <laughs> here. So you start Sift uh, Data in 2014, yeah. and yeah. then uh, what w- was the driver behind KickSaw a couple of years ago as well?
1: Yeah, so it's super confusing. Um, I started Sift Data. It's effectively, in short, a way to track when your prospects and customers change jobs. Think of it that way. That's going well. I'm kind of doing that on the side, focusing on doing it full time. And then I started helping out with uh, some VPs of sales that I'd worked with, transitioned out of Gigya and asked me for help configuring Salesforce for them. So I got to send them an invoice. I got to send them an order form. I might as well lump it under SIF data because I've got a company structured. I've got invoicing dialed in. Then consulting grew to a significant multiple of, con- of software. So I needed to break that out. That's why things broke out into a separate company. So it wasn't uh, some master plan that I had to build these companies. They very much organically grew into what they are today. So uh, I'd say that uh, the reality is I'm probably not running either company very well. If you do two things, you're doing none is kind of the saying. But uh, yeah, from the Kicksaw side is where I probably spend 95 percent of my time.
0: Ah, interesting. Okay, good. Uh, c- quite the eclectic run you've had here, Kyle. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. different than maybe other people. Not better or worse, but just probably different. Yeah, well, listen, congrats on on all that you've achieved thus far. Uh, Any advice for anybody listening? Uh, I always like to ask that question Mm. and just maybe advice that's been given to you over the years or Mm. something that has always inspired you, just if anybody was listening. Mm. This doesn't even have to be an entrepreneur thing or just anything in your life. Any piece of advice for anybody listening? This will be,
1: uh, in that vein, I would say if you have the uh, willingness, learn to code. You don't hear it a lot for people in sales, but that was one of the biggest uh, turning points in my career. And it it's not something like, as a sales rep, let's say, or an operations person or a CFO, knowing how to code isn't going to make you fantastic at your job. It helped me in that I knew I wanted to start a company, and a big limiting factor for a lot of people who can sell that ultimately want to start their own company is how do I write software that people buy? That's a, such a massive gap between I have a problem I've identified, and then how do you solve it, right? How do I go from I can't chat with my buddies to I have Slack? It's a very like big gap to bridge. And I found that you know I was running business operations, learning to code helped me make make me stronger operations person, because I was thinking of things in a different way. But I also found that I had a little bit of a propensity for it. And then it really helped round out my skill set. So I could, you know, when we're jumping into problems as they pertain to CRMs, having this background in understanding how the underlying code works and functions and just generally how objects work together. This seems so weird and in the weeds, but it, it helps me think about as I'm growing the company, these are the factors I've got to take into consideration, right? It's we're selling software. And if you don't understand anything about software other than I click a button and it works, you're missing out. You're missing out on your ability to communicate, understand complexity, scale something. You just don't know what's even possible. And as soon as coding kind of clicked for me, it felt like everything opened up. So you don't hear this a lot from people coming from a sales-ish background, but I think coding is one of the the things that we need more of generally in society, right? We need people that are engineer-minded and thinking about solutions and you know, you hear salespeople get really frustrated when software doesn't work. You know, they're selling something, it's broken, there's a bug. Yeah, They don't have any context for what does it take to fix this problem and just understanding more about that. If you're really going to sell that, it's like a, if you're selling cars and you don't understand how engines work at all, how can you effectively sell a car? So it's kind of that. That'd be a big, uh, big recommendation I'd make. Also move to Ben. It's a great spot. I love it here.
0: Why? What's up, Ben? That's so nice. It looks great. I'm looking at your backdrop behind you. And, you know, for those of you, it's obviously an audio podcast, but his backdrop, uh, it looks like a painting from Bob Ross. It just looks (laughs) just looks amazing.
1: Uh, A lot of it really depends on what you prioritize in your life. Um, I'm a big fan of I want to be outdoors as much as I can. World class mountain biking, skiing, hiking, fly fishing. Uh, there's great beer, 20 breweries, 23 breweries in a town of 9,800 thousand people. So there's plenty of plenty of good stuff to do around here.
0: Well, Kyle, listen, I appreciate uh, the time. I've enjoyed you sharing your story. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great talking, Paul. Absolutely. Okay, everybody, listen, we'll wrap this one up right now. Uh, Remember, your intention matters because that's the result that you'll tend to get. We're out of here. uh, See you next week. Be safe, everybody.